Once you have so many problems taken care of, we just start searching for more hollow problems. And that starts to stress us out and drive us absolutely insane. And more importantly, you miss like how amazing it is to be alive right now. Like it is the best period in time to ever be alive. Mm -hmm. And yet when you look at polls, people are more miserable than ever. Hey guys, major fangirl moment. This is it. This is it for me. This is one of them. This is a biggie who I have on the show today. And I know you're going to love this person. So the human being that I have on my show is somebody who whose book I came across because of my amazing sister friend, Jackie Koch, who introduced me to a book called The Comfort Crisis this last summer. And this book rocked my world. I was in a place where my business was kicking my ass. And because of that, I had let a lot of things go. I was really in a tough spot. I was feeling anxious, depressed. I was having trouble wanting to get out of bed. I was having trouble being excited about life. I was feeling like my fitness was slipping. I wasn't eating very well anymore. And I had started having a glass of wine almost every single night. And I didn't feel like myself. And this book really rocked my world and reminded me that it's so important that the we how we frame challenge and that we seek out challenge. And I will read this book once a year, every single year. So the human being on my podcast today is Michael Easter. And he is an author, professor, and adventurer. He writes and speaks about how humans can integrate modern science and evolutionary wisdom into their lives to expand their potential, better physical and mental health, more profound experiences, and increase performance in business and fitness. He's the best-selling author of The Comfort Crisis, and to develop his ideas, he travels to the world's most remote and dangerous places, reads thousands of studies, and speaks to hundreds of experts. You guys, all the things that I am not willing to do right now. So if you're not traveling all over the world and doing that as well, trust me, just get his cliff notes because it will change your freaking life. His ideas have shifted how to how top institutions view topics ranging from exercise to mental health to improving performance. And I think you're going to love this conversation because I really feel like all of you listening are like me, where you want to reach your potential. You don't want to die not knowing what you really had in, in you and what you were capable of. So this book, I want you to read it once a year, listen to the podcast, do me a favor, listen to the book on audio because the story is so good and it moves you into action. This is one of those books, guys. This is one of those books. Okay, let's get started. Michael, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited to be here. It should be fun to talk. Oh my God, you guys. So before I hit record, I was being the ultimate fangirl. But for good reason, you are about to be the ultimate fan people after you hear this podcast. No pressure, Michael, whatsoever. But yeah, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so take it away. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so your book has completely changed my life, my family's life. It is in my top three of most recommended books that I really think if you want to have a good life personally, mentally, 
emotionally, relationship wise. And then I can't even tell you what this did even for my business. So I'm really excited to dive into this concept. You guys, he has a book called The Comfort Crisis, and it is all about the evolutionary need to be challenged. And I can honestly say that your book has helped me really fall in love with some of the most challenging experiences and periods of my life over this last year. So I think I first want to just start out with saying, where did this concept first for you, like really take roots when you were like, oh, this is kind of everything to me? Yeah. So, I mean, you've mentioned challenging periods in your life. So I didn't know my dad because he liked to go out to bars and that sort of stuff. Mm. My mom got sober before she had me. And I found a period in my life where I was kind of doing that same thing Mm. and getting sober. It was very uncomfortable, but it improved my life just across Mm. the board. So I would say it sort of, yeah, started from there. And yeah, I don't know. The ball started rolling and started getting ideas and now we have a book. Yeah. When So when you were getting sober, because obviously you have that moment of the realization that you're, I still have cocktails, but I absolutely used to be extreme drinker. But those moments and realizations where you're like, oh my God, my joy is completely only wrapped up in the thought of when I get to go drink or when I get to go eat or when I get to go do these things that are sabotaging. So what was that like for you switching where you find joy? Like, can you speak a little bit about that experience of like trying to navigate that? So to your point, when you are a person who drinks like me, and I like to say my favorite drink was always the next one. So, <laughs> so I, my I problem, feel that. Yeah. So my problem was never that I was drinking every day. It's just that yeah. when I would drink, which tended to be the weekends, One was never enough. Two was never enough. Mm. And when you drink like that, you might find yourself in some pickles in life every now and then, right? I definitely did. (laughs) And and I would say that my life looked pretty good on paper. Like I worked at this big magazine everyone had heard of. I had a house. But just internally, I was a mess. Personally, just the walls were caving in. And I had had tried to stop drinking like literally hundreds of times using Mm. different ways. And obviously, it never worked. And for whatever reason, one morning I just woke up and it was it was very clear to me, one, that if I continued to drink, I was probably going to die early. Mm. I didn't know if I was going to die. I read about this in the book. I didn't know if I would die 35, or 55 or 75. I just knew it would be earlier. Yeah. And the second thing is that all the times I tried to stop drinking, I tried to do tried to do it the easy way. Mm. Like, OK, I'm going to come up with some strange hairball scheme to like drink less, never worked, right? And I think I realized that I had to do the absolutely hardest thing, which was just stop all at once. And I knew that that was going to be totally hard, totally uncomfortable. It was going to be hell for a while, but that there might be something there for me. Mm. I did that and I was totally correct. It totally sucked, but only only in the short term. So one of the lessons of the book is that in order to improve your life, especially in the context of today, you often have to go through short-term discomfort to get a long-term benefit. Mm -hmm. And that was 100% the story of me getting sober. Now, the other thing is, so the magazine I worked at was Men's Health Magazine. Mm. I get sober, I'm like, oh yeah, that was terrible in the short term, but my life has improved in the long run. And I start thinking about all the things I read about at Men's Health improving your fitness, 
What do you have to yeah. do to do that? You have to work out. Working out sucks as you're doing it, right? <laughs> but you get healthy on the other side of that. You're yeah. glad you did it. If you want to lose weight, probably going to have to eat less. You're going to be hungry. That sucks. But your health will likely improve if, you were in, if you're overweight and you start, mm-hmm. right? Even improving your mental health. You're probably going to have to ask yourself some tough questions and mm-hmm. that psychological onion. And that's no fun in the short term, but you improve. Mm-hmm. So, once I sort of noticed that trend, I had to go do, I'll kind of keep this part short, but I had to do a story for men's health where they commissioned me to go profile this guy who his name is Donnie Vincent. And he's this backcountry bow hunter and filmmaker. Basically, I had to go hunting with this dude off the grid, like deep in the backcountry for only like five days. And it absolutely sucked. I mean, I was cold the entire time. I was hungry the entire time because we had to pack in food. Hunting is very boring. If we wanted water, it was like this epic hike down to the stream and then hike back up to the peaks to get it. But when I got home, I felt just way better. Mm. And not to mention, when I get home, I'm like in my house in Las Vegas that's 72 degrees and there's food right there and I don't have to do any effort for water. Like, And you just kind of hit you like, oh, wow. Yeah, life is pretty comfortable today. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. for most people, most of the time. And that is so much different than how humans lived for two and a half million years of human evolution. Mm. And so in the past, the world was never comfortable. It took effort. Survival required basically doing hard things like all the time. Mm-hmm. And this was all in this uncomfortable context of the world. So if you could do the next easiest, most comfortable thing, you'd have a survival advantage. So we were basically humans evolved to seek comfort, to do the next easiest thing. And that kept us alive when we lived in uncomfortable environments. But now our environments have shifted, but we still have that drive. And that's leading to problems that you would expect, like lack of fitness, the obesity crisis, but also ones that maybe you wouldn't expect. Like it's very much tied to this sort of huge rates of anxiety and Mm -hmm. depression and all these other mental health problems. So, yeah. That is one of the biggest things that I notice is when I'm I'm going through, like when I choose challenges, especially I'd rather, you know, and we'll talk a lot about this, but I'd rather choose my challenge than have challenge choose me because it will either way. And, you know, when I'm going and choosing challenges that have a reward on the other side, whether it's just something that I, uh, you know, feel great that I accomplished because it was challenging. I don't, I notice in my life, I'm not sitting there going, oh, I'm so anxious. I'm so overwhelmed. I feel so depressed. Yes, it's a different set of challenges, but I think the energetic like vibration of the challenge feels very different. It's like I'm overcoming, I'm learning, I'm proud. Whereas the other challenges, it's like, Oh God, I feel hopeless. I feel desperate. I don't know what to look forward to. I'm anxious. Like we're dwelling on these, you know, at the time they don't feel ridiculous, but looking at them after you're like, wow, those are really like ridiculous problems to be thinking about. And so small, it's so very like you're in your bubble. You're not thinking of other people when you're doing that as well. So where do you think you, you give so much good context in the book to kind of set us up around where we're at kind of in America and in life in terms of how we're viewing just like life comforts and challenges. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, I think what you just mentioned about how 
we can kind of get sucked up in the problems we have and they're probably not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of our lives. So there's this concept in the book I talk about called prevalence-induced concept change. Now, this is a dorky way of basically saying problem creep. So there's these two psychologists at Harvard and they're in line for TSA. And as they're waiting in line for TSA, they notice that TSA is really good at finding problems, right? Like you go through TSA and they're like, giving you the whole body pat down because you forgot a bottle of water in your bag or whatever, like crazy. And so they wonder, they go, okay, if all of a sudden everyone followed the rules, would TSA just let people fly through security? And they go, I don't think so. Because the job of TSA is to find problems. Mm. So they think they would just widen what they consider a problem. Mm. So the problems would come more shallow. And as they're sitting there, they're talking and they're like, well, that I, that's kind of like people though, right? So they decide that they want to study this and they carry out a couple of different studies. But the one that's really interesting, they have people look at 800 different faces in a row. Mm. And the people's job is to decide whether these faces are threatening or whether they are non-threatening. Okay. Mm. So the people are going like, not threatening, non-threatening, not threatening. Oh, that one's threatening. Not threatening, non threatening, right? Mm-hmm. But, but what they don't tell these study participants as they're showing them faces is that about on the 200th face, they start showing them fewer and fewer threatening faces. Mm. So if this is a black or white scenario, people would start to say threatening less often, right? Mm. What they find is that people said threatening the exact same amount of times. So mm. they started to judge sort of ambiguous down the middle faces as threatening ones they would have said non-threatening to before. And they did a similar setup and it was looking at proposals and deciding whether they're ethical or unethical. And so what this found is that as humans experience fewer and fewer problems, mm-hmm. we don't actually become more satisfied. Mm. We just lower our threshold for what we consider a problem. Now, as the world has improved over time, which I think we can all agree it has, if you look at the world over the last 500 years, say, Mm -hmm. what's happened is that we haven't actually become more satisfied. We've simply just looked for new problems to get annoyed about, but our problems have become progressively more hollow over time. Mm. So this is like the science of first world problems, Mm -hmm. right? You think about if your biggest problem is that you literally cannot afford dinner, Right, you probably aren't as annoyed if you if someone cuts you off in traffic or something like that. Mm-hmm. But once you have so many problems taken care of, we just start searching for more hollow problems, and that starts to stress us out and drive us absolutely insane. And more importantly, you miss like how amazing it is to be alive right now. Like it is mm-hmm. the best period in time to ever be alive. Mm-hmm. And yet, when you look at polls, people are more miserable than ever. Okay, so you talk about the concept. I think I'm remembering to say it right. Misogi. Yes. Yes. Okay. And this is essentially kind of the theory of getting to choose, like choose your hard, choose your problem. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about this, how this got introduced into your life. Where were you at at the time? Why was this so intriguing to you? Let's maybe talk about your first one and what it did. So I come across this guy whose name is Marcus Elliott. And Marcus graduated from Harvard Medical School, decides he doesn't want to be a doctor, decides that he wants to revolutionize sports science, which is like kind of an arrogant statement. You're like, okay, yeah, whatever, dude. But it turns out he actually does. So the guy has contracts with the NFL and the NBA, and he's the first person to basically put 
big data and AI over human movement. Now, mm. with this, he can predict injury rates pretty accurately. Mm. He can help players improve their movement, improve their game. So he's like very much about numbers and figures. Mm-hmm. But he also realizes that when it comes down to like the end of the game and the whole thing's on the line, there are certain people who you always want to give the ball to because mm. they've got that gear, right? Certain people just have the gear where mm-hmm. they're unruffled. They can just affect things. And so what's up with that? Because mm. that's not a measurable thing. Yeah. So to get to these, that sort of gear, as it were, he does this thing called Masogi. And the idea is that once a year, you're going to go outside into nature and you're going to do something really hard. There are two rules, Masogi. Rule number one is make it really hard. Mm. Rule number two is don't die. <laughs> that is sort of a joke, a tongue-in-cheek way of saying be safe. Mm-hmm. But the idea is basically this, is that as humans evolve, as I mentioned earlier, we have to do hard things all the time. We are challenged all the time. This could be from hunting. This could be from moving our family from point A to point B. And these things were without safety nets. We didn't get to choose them. But when we would take on these challenges, we would sort of be thrust up against our edges, right? We'd be like, I don't know if I can finish this thing. But by sort of going past that and accomplishing whatever we had to, we would learn a lot about what we were capable of. Because you can only really learn what you're capable of when you get to that point where you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Yes. It's the only time I've learned. Only time. But you do the damn thing anyway, Mm -hmm. right? You don't quit. We don't face those challenges as often as we used to in the past, especially challenges that incorporate physicality, psychology, and even like spirituality, right? Like these three things at once where it's just like this epic, like you have to dig deep physically, mentally, even just like, you know, you just got to find your stuff. Mm -hmm. So the idea of Masogi is that he's trying to mimic those sorts of challenges that we used to face in the past. And what that does is that he defines the rule one, the really hard rule, as saying you should have a 50-50 shot at finishing whatever mm. task. Okay. Take time. Now, when you think about how people approach challenges today, we usually know we're going to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. Hard, but we're like, I'm going to finish. So think about marathon running, right? People know they're going to finish the marathon. Mm-hmm. They just aren't sure if it's going to be in some arbitrary time goal. So with a Masogi, like, you should have a coin flips chance of actually finishing that hmm. because at that difficulty level, you will face the moment where you aren't sure if you're going to keep going, where you're like, I'm done. I want to quit mm-hmm. I'm here. But if you can just kind of keep going, you get past that edge and you can look back and go, Oh man, like I thought I didn't have anything left, mm-hmm. but I'm at that edge. So you've, I've sold myself short. Right. Mm-hmm. And with that realization that you've sold yourself short out there, you can ask yourself, well, like, where else in my life am I telling myself short? Mm. And that will change you because you realize that you're probably capable of far more than you ever realized. Mm. I love this because the times in my life where I've really just made, and, and I do believe that you can make such crazy transformations in short periods of time by using this. And I love this idea more than I can tell you because it's how I, I went from kind of not even 
believing in myself whatsoever. I was from a really small town. I didn't graduate high school. I was homeschooled through high school. And when in my 20s, I had started doing like out of the blue, had no dance background, had no like fitness background for the most part had started doing fitness competitions. And then I decided to do like the fitness routine competitions, no gymnastics, no nothing. Totally did not know if I would complete it, if I would fail, what that was going to look like. And that was probably the hardest. I, I did that for about four years and it was the hardest four years of my entire life. I had no social life, but I've never, like that was the most transformative part of my life for, and we'll talk about this because I know you experienced this, I trusted myself after doing that. I didn't trust myself before. I had so much confidence in myself. I was willing to bet on myself where I would have never, ever done that before. I could walk into a room knowing what I brought to the table because I was proud of the things that I completed where I had never completed something before. So for you, before you started doing this, what would you say are some of the biggest like emotional changes for you that you can look back at the man you were before and then the man you were after like really incorporating this into your life? Yeah, I'll answer that two ways. And and first of all, I'll say that when you look at all of human history, mm-hmm. you know, when I when I talk about Masogi, people will often think it's kind of like weird. They're like, okay, it's like vaguely interesting, but it's kind of kooky, like, okay, whatever. But there's actually like massive historical precedence mm. for it. We we used to call things like this rites of passage. Mm. Right? So in all these different tribes around the world, when you had a person who was at point A in their life and you wanted to get them to point B where they were more confident, a better contributor to society overall. It's not like you just hand over the keys. They would usually send them out into nature to do something hard. So they were tested. So they would learn something about themselves. And then they could come back to society and be better overall. Mm. It improved as a human. So for me, I definitely think, so in the book, I did 33 days in the Arctic. It's like one of my favorite, favorite stories. Okay, good. The narrative, yeah. So the narrative of the book, the overarching narrative is about that trip that I took. And I'll say that when I went out there, like, you know, I'd done some stuff outdoors, but this was like, this was like serious stuff. Very different. Yes, very different. This was not camping for... I was like nervous, you guys listening to this, you have to read the book, but, and listen to the audio, like, sorry, but they got to get the audio. It's the, it's the best ever. I was like nervous for you. I was like, oh my God. My safety. Okay. (laughs) Yes, there was definitely some harrowing moments. But what happens is when you face those harrowing moments Mm -hmm. out there, you're learning things along the way. Mm. And you're putting yourself in situations that are extreme enough that for me, when I got back, all of a sudden I have a lot more perspective around Mm the sort of quote unquote extremes of modern life, which are not at all like the extremes out there. Like there's so much, like modern life is very safe, right? Yes. Out there, it wasn't entirely safe. Mm-hmm. So you learn from that. And so for me, what it really did is I would say it just massively elevated what I would consider a problem in my life, what I would mm-hmm. consider a stressful situation. So my wife's main comment when I got back, was like, you know, how do you, think this changed me she's like oh you're just like impossible to ruffle now oh it's true because I just didn't like you know the things that used to really annoy me or get me worked up that I would worry about you're just like well I got plenty of food it's warm in here can't see any grizzly bears nearby so I'm good (laughs) yeah and I think that 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 sticks with you and I will say also that I've learned that 
I need to go do something similar at least every year because it's kind of a reset. You know, Mm -hmm. humans adapt to our environment fast. That's why we're such, why we took over the world. That's why we're so smart. But at the same time, we're so good at it in an environment that is not entirely natural and geared to us being like having perspective mm-hmm. on life that if we don't sort of get out of that, I think it can come with some downsides. Definitely. I love that so much. You guys listening, imagine being unruffleable. Let's <laughs> make up that word. Imagine, you know, all of these things coming your way that you're not putting so much energy towards so you have you have so much more energy I can imagine for your relationships for the goals that you want to achieve it's like I can definitely say that we work with a lot of entrepreneurs and I think the things that they're putting their energy towards are so small that they get exhausted really easily in the beginning in the beginning especially Mm -hmm. when they're when they're starting out And I would say that that is one of the biggest problems that we see is the problems they think they're having are so small compared to what they're going to encounter on the journey that I think that these are such beautiful ways in in business and life and relationships to put those problems into perspective because then Mm -hmm. you do have so much more energy for everything that you want to do. And yeah, it might be, you know, kind of what you said, there is a lot of energy output into these maybe physical activities or these mental challenges that you're choosing in your scheduling. But in the grand scheme, I think it gives you your life back. Like I really believe you get to start living life when you understand this concept rather than being in this very small bubble. I realized how small we can live when we're not really getting outside of our problems. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about it from the perspective of an entrepreneur, especially one that's just coming up, that that's a risky endeavor only in the context of modern life though yes so think about how lucky you have to be to be an entrepreneur and let's say it does fail mhm are you going to die no what's going to happen you're probably still going to have shelter and food you're, you're going to have friends you're going to have shelter you're mm-hmm. literally going to have everything you need to survive still yeah All of it, you'll still have. The worst thing that can happen is the number in the bank account isn't what you wanted it to be. And you drive a crappy car instead of a really nice one, right? And you feel kind of bad about yourself, but you're not going to die. Right now is the absolute best time ever to just push all the chips across the table. Now, I'm not saying do stupid things in business, but I think that what holds a lot of people back is fear from failure, but they haven't sat down and been like, okay, well, what would happen if I did fail? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I'm going to be embarrassed. It's like, no one's going to remember this shit. Mm-hmm. All of the best entrepreneurs have failed at some point or another. Mm-hmm. And then looks back and, you know, I don't have examples off the top of my head, but like, say Mark Cuban, no one looks back and go, oh yeah, Mark Cuban, that's the guy who like started that one store and it like didn't work out, right? They're like, no, he's the guy who owns the Mavericks. <laughs> Right. right, exactly. So, yeah, I just think that it's easy to worry too much in a world where we we probably really shouldn't worry all that much. I'm not saying everyone's life is perfect and that life isn't hard, but for most people, most of the time, it is the safest time to be alive ever. Hey, y'all. I'm so excited to share with you that this podcast, Earn Your Happy, is now a part of the Growth Day Podcast Network. 
truly, this is like one of the most exciting things that has ever happened to me. I'm telling you, I no longer feel like I'm doing this alone. And I actually get to collaborate with the people who host the podcast that I'm obsessed with. Like that I have been listening to myself who inspired me to start a podcast, who have taught me about how to go and do the thing. Like the original people who got me motivated through listening to their podcasts. You guys, a bunch of us are coming together to bring more growth to the world and to support shows and brands that we believe in. And one of my friends are also on this network and I'd love for you to go subscribe to their show. You guys, I just had Danielle Canty on of the Boss Babe podcast. She co-hosts it with her other amazing co-host and one of my friends, Natalie Ellis. You guys, you can go check out that podcast on mine. It's episode 925 and Danielle and I talk all about burnout and how that could be showing up in your life and most importantly, how to prevent it. But I want to tell you, if you have not gone and checked out the Boss Babe podcast yet, go subscribe because it is one of the largest online communities for ambitious women and female entrepreneurs. And I know that if you're listening to the show, chances are that's probably you. You guys, they have 3.6 million followers and 380,000 subscribers. The Boss Babe podcast is the place where they share real behind the scenes of building successful businesses, achieving peak performance, and learning how to balance it all. Most of all, you guys, truly, these women are in my life. Danielle and Natalie are people that I text on a weekly, monthly basis when I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel stuck. What should I do? I tune into their podcast, you guys, to learn. Even though they're my friends, I am still like crazy obsessed with this podcast because I learn something new every single time I listen. It makes me be a better podcaster. It makes me be a better businesswoman. It just makes me be better and more confident out in the world because they're so real and raw. And I can tell you that in the moments where I have had horrible days, down days, I've either gone and listened to this podcast or I've texted them because these are the people who truly get it. You want to listen to the people who are walking in the same footsteps that you are. You guys, go check out the boss babe podcast you're not going to be sorry and it's just gonna like make you way smarter and you're gonna have way more fun so go check it out hey y'all if you didn't know Earn Your Happy is now a part of the Growth Day Podcast Network. This is so exciting to me because I have been looking for a really good home for the show for I can't even tell you, years, literally. And now I've finally been able to come together and collaborate with other people who have incredible shows and I want to share them with you. One of the shows is Motivation with Brennan Bouchard. And you guys, if you don't know about the beginning of my career, I literally started with Brennan Bouchard's work. It's how I launched one of my very first online courses and membership sites was because he gives so much advice that you can integrate and implement immediately. And that's what you're going to get on the show. Not just motivation, but you're going to learn exactly how to get your stuff out in the world. And not just that, but Brennan runs in the most incredible group of humans who are really doing the thing out in the world that you want to be doing. So go check it out. Go subscribe to Motivation with Brennan Bouchard. I promise you this is going to be one of those shows that 
no matter when you tune in, you're going to get value. Like it's not one of those that you're like, God, I listened for 30 minutes and I didn't get what I wanted. Like from the beginning, you're going to get something that changes your life or changes your business. So go check it out. Motivation with Brendan Bouchard. I know you're going to love it. I'm obsessed. When you're looking at the things that are challenging in your life, because I can imagine now you really appreciate the challenges. Like, tell me about how you perceive them now when you're going through them, like really knowing this is actually helping me, you know? So I'll give a couple of different examples. I think in business, I do go back to that. What's the worst thing that could happen? Yeah. I also, I would say I'm better at asking myself, well, why am I doing this in the first place? Mm. And what am I giving up by doing it? Do I want to do like, I'm better with my time and going, okay, this is a venture that could probably make me more money, mm-hmm. but I have zero interest in doing it. And it's probably mm-hmm. just going to annoy me. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So I have a better perspective of going, what is enough in my life? Yeah. And if something, if I choose to do something, if it doesn't pull me below enough and I it's fun and I, it gives, it's very life-giving to me. That's a great idea. Whereas something could push me well past enough, but if it makes me miserable, like what is the point here? Relationship wise, I would say that I have better perspective. I'm not, I'm better able to pull back and go, are you just like defending your ground in the moment? Mm. You know? So now I ask myself a lot of times, do you want to be right or happy? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because the reality is, is that no one's ever hundred percent. Right. Like, right. We change our minds all the time. We learn new things as we go. And so in arguments, you just kind of go like, okay, whatever, you know? Oh my God. My, so my husband and I have been married 17 years now and we've come to this conclusion of kind of like this blanket statement. I'll share. That's like when we're fighting, we're like, so is this going to end with us together? Because it's always going to end with us together. So we go, then do we just kind of want to let this one go? Because it's it's like, we know we both want the ending to be the same with us together underneath the same roof talking. So totally. let's totally. not keep like kicking the can down the road of misery knowing like we're going to end up together anyway. Like that's the choice. Because yeah. the yeah. only reason you would really keep arguing is if you think you're going to go and like you're going to get a different outcome or someone's going to win. And let me tell you, when you're married to someone, there is no one person winning, period. <laughs> and I also think about it in terms of, you know, maybe before. So a good example is that, you know, like I'm a writer sort of, creative and I fall into all the cliches of just like my desk has a million different papers on it right my wife meanwhile I mean if it were up to her the the house would be run like a prison everything would just be there wouldn't be a lot out everything would be perfectly in its place and so we like we used I just used to leave stuff out because I would just be like "Eh, like who cares it's just stuff but now I can be like what is my job as a husband Mm. it's like to make my wife happy and is it that big of a deal for me to just like Mm. maybe move your shit to the office (laughs) kind of like your space like it's not that big of a deal right Mm -hmm. that too has been beneficial for me definitely 
for her too. <laughs> I've absolutely had those same realizations where I'm like, is this really that big of a deal to me to make someone feel so much happier about something? Like, yeah, yeah totally. Again, like, where's the winning? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Trying to figure that out. Okay, so you talk a lot about how you learned about how death really has made some cultures much like talking about death, experiencing death, learning about death on a daily basis has made a lot of cultures experience more happiness. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I started thinking about this because in the book, we were in the Arctic because we were hunting caribou. Now, I had never hunted before, and I didn't even know if I wanted to hunt. So I kind of had some hesitations going into that. But the guy I was with was like, I think you would understand why we come up here. So long story short, I go up and I go, okay, maybe I'll hunt. And the whole time I'm thinking like, I don't have to do this. Maybe I'll hunt. Maybe I won't. We get into a position where there's this very old caribou who is limping. Like the thing has two weeks left. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hunt. And I pull a trigger, trigger of the rifle. The animal goes down and I just totally lost it, like emotionally, like so much regret. Mm. And we go over to it. I still feel the exact same thing. I'm like, what have you done? Mm. Then we start breaking the animal down because we're going to use every single part of it that we legally can't. You have to leave some of it by law. And my mind started to shift. And that's because we're taking meat from the animal and it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like that's meat. It's like the same stuff at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, dude, you eat meat every single day. And never once have you felt emotion. Yes. Like this was so much perspective for me. Like I was crying during this portion because this blew my mind. Cause I was in the exact same emotional place. You were obviously, cause you're not the exact same place, but like, that was so impactful for me going, I eat this, yet I'm not willing to like look at it and like cherish it and all the things. Okay, keep going. Well, I was crying too. So I kind of realized, you know, for one thing to live on, mm-hmm. another often has to die. Mm-hmm. And then you go, well, wait a minute. You're not left out of that equation, are you? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, shit. That's a heavy mm-hmm. thought. Yeah, very so I, I start thinking about this and and death. And I will tell you that is the most uncomfortable thing to think about. Mm-hmm. For me, it was. I think for most people it is. But what I found happened is sort of that lesson that I mentioned before is that although it made me exceedingly uncomfortable in the short term, like totally the worst thing ever, mm-hmm. it improved my life in the long term because it changed my behavior. Because it helped give me perspective. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't get as flipped out about small things, you know, because you're like, I'm going to die. I got a limited stretch time here. Mm -hmm. Why am I spending it on this? And so I wanted to learn more about that. Mm. So I ended up traveling to Bhutan, which is, it's right by India and Nepal, super small country. It's about the size of South Carolina. And Bhutan is interesting because it is one of the least developed countries on earth. It's like 160 or something out of 185 on the development list. They don't have a stoplight in the entire country. They don't have any like international fast food. I mean, it feels like you're going back to like 1940, Mm -hmm. 1930, really. But what's interesting 
is that they also consistently rank as one of the happiest countries on earth. Hmm. When scientists do like really extensive studies, they're always in the top 20. Yet they don't have all the stuff that we would consider the American dream. Yeah. Right? Because that's what we think is going to make us happy. And there's a lot of different reasons for their happiness. But one of them is that people in Bhutan are instructed to think about their death at least once a day. Mm. So I want to learn what does this do for people? So I go meet with this guy whose name is Kempo Puncho Tashi. And he's a Kempo in the Buddhist faith. And getting to him, well, I mean, this was like, this was a trip altogether. But then actually mm. getting to him, like we have to go up this crazy crazy dirt mountain road like in a smart car then i get dropped off at this trailhead and i have to hike into this dude's shack and Mm. there's no electricity no running water i like go in the first room there's nothing in there the second room is like this kitchen with a cooktop third room i like pull back this drape there's this like big altar with a statue of the buddha on the right and like I sweep my head to look left and I just see this guy's face, right? Mm-hmm. And he's this monk. He's sitting in the lotus position in his gold robes, shaved head, the beads, the whole deal, meditating. And he just looks over at me and he's like, welcome. If you want to talk about death? Just, <laughs> oh my God. Like, this is not my everyday experience. <laughs> no, this is like some straight up Indiana Jones stuff. <laughs> but I said, I talked to this guy about death and the Bhutanese perspective on death. Mm-hmm. And he explains it to me like this. He's like, pretend that you're walking down a trail. And at the end of this trail is a cliff. And the cliff is death. He's like, we are all walking on the trail right now. Mm. He's like, don't you want to know that there's a cliff there? Mm. He's like, he goes, in the United States, you guys don't want to know that there's a cliff there. No. You ignore death. And we see that in our funeral system, our medical system, our food system. It's like in Bhutan, we want to know that there's a cliff there. Mm. Because it changes how we walk the trail. If you know there's a cliff, you're going to walk that trail differently. You're going to stop and take in the view. You're going to smell the roses along the trail. You're going to have different conversations with the people that you were walking the trail with. Mm. So when you realize that the trail is going to end, metaphorically, it changes your behavior. And those behavior changes can result in improved happiness and improved perspective. And this has been proven by a few different studies in the U.S. So... The summer that we were reading your book, we had lost my husband's dad the year prior. So it was the first summer that, because we'd always go home, that's where they lived in Wisconsin. And it was super sudden. It was unexpected. He was like the healthiest guy. He'd bike ride 17 miles. He was like the, if there could be a star of a family, he was the star of our family. Mm -hmm. Like he was just the best, like the best human. And we kind of were having that summer where it's like, are we going to feel happy again? Like, is this ever going to feel normal? And we're simultaneously reading your book and listening to that, which was so powerful. But we're also learning that death can teach you so much. And it's like the, honestly, it was the biggest, like viewing his life as a gift rather than like mourning it and being stuck in that place of loss. And instead saying, wow, this human lived his life 
wanting to impact people in little moments, like in everyday moments. Like he was the one where you'd pull into the driveway and he'd be at the neighbor's house because he's like, I went over to see if they needed help with X, Y, and Z in every single home he'd be at helping different people. And it was just a moment of what can we take from his life and really looking around and going, what can we leave behind with people? Not like with things, don't get me wrong. I, I love I love money, I love things. I think it's great to be aspirational. But the biggest realization was like, what can we leave behind in people? And what can we enjoy along the way and like take from each moment and each interaction, each person? And I think it was just such a moment where... You know, when you're in your 30s and 40s, you, you're you like, wow, am I ever going to get old? And all of a sudden, one day your parents are getting old and people are dying around you. And it's like, oh, my God, it actually makes your life so much more purposeful and meaningful. And wow, there's a time limit on this thing. I better actually start living. And what he left behind was just this gift of we stopped waiting to live because we were like, mm. oh, when we do this or, or we'll get that down the road or we want to do this thing later. And it's like, no we got to do it now. We don't know if we're going to be around. We don't know how many of our family members are going to be around. It was actually, it was the hardest thing, but also now living like we know we're going to die or we could lose our family is so much more. We live such a more enriched life in the last couple of years than we've ever lived because of it. Yeah. And it's often that we unfortunately need things like that to change our perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, but that is something that often comes out of that. You know, Mm -hmm. you also see it in when people get, say, if they survive a cancer diagnosis or something, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the thing that changes their course, right? You kind of start living. And so I'm, you know, it's terrible to hear that he passed away. But some people, when that happens, it doesn't teach them anything. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it taught you something that was important. That's Mm -hmm. good the whole family. We try to make it mean something, you know, Mm -hmm. try to make that life mean something. So that's been a really beautiful way to, I think, help with the the morning period as well. So, all right. You have a kind of blueprint for leveraging discomfort. Is this something that you just follow or that you can share with us or what does that look like? So there's this concept that I talk about a lot called being a two percenter. Mm. And in the book I talk about, and this is a study that like totally changed how I think and really affirmed how wired we are to do the next easiest, most comfortable thing. Mm. And it is that only 2% of people will take the stairs when there is also an escalator available. Only 2%. Only 2%. Holy smokes. So when I think about being a 2%er, it's really what small decisions can I make every single day Mm. That although they will be uncomfortable in the short term, they are going to add up over time to a massive benefit. And it's not just about taking the stairs. It's everything. It's how am I spending my attention? What sort of effort am I putting into my business or my writing? Right. It's like the little things tend to add up. And for me, that looks like I make sure to sort of have a blocked off period of writing because that's my main thing. But I also... Attention wise, you know, the the time that I think is good for someone who writes and has to think of ideas, which is everyone has to think of ideas. I mean, like, that's like how you come up with good stuff that breaks new ground, right? Even having times where I go through the discomfort of boredom, Mm -hmm. because it's so easy now to just kind of 
default to a screen or something. Mm -hmm. So spending more time outside, more time totally unattached from my phone. Although in the short term, I'm like, why the hell am I out here? I'm so bored. (laughs) Usually some interesting idea will pop up. Mm -hmm. And I leverage that in the future. I think about it in terms of just everything I do in my life. I really try and abide by that 2% concept. And I Mm -hmm. noticed that just by doing that, having those like little moments where you're like, this isn't the thing I wanted to do, but I know I'm going to have this long-term benefit that that really adds up to a, to a big benefit. So I have like a newsletter that I write every week and it's called the 2% newsletter because it's all about mm. this. So, And we can just join that if we go to your website. Yeah. And there's okay. like a 2% challenge thing too that kind of introduces mm. people to a lot of the concepts. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm I, all about now. I love that. You know, I think we need these little one sentences, like these little mantras that we cling to in those moments. I've always had to have something to grab instead of our old programming of the kind of like you said the I'm I'm bored or this is uncomfortable or whatever it's like the I want to be a two percenter or I'm going to be a two percenter identifying as a two percenter literally in that moment makes you say oh this is good for me oh this is making me better so I think I'm gonna grab that mantra and use that (laughs) for whenever I see stairs in front of me that's been huge for me is just having something to say oh this discomfort is making me better or kind of like you like this, Oh, this boredom or not looking at my phone and looking around, like look up, just let yourself actually think your own thoughts. That's been huge for me. Like stop looking at your phone, such Mm -hmm. an addiction. And right now you're, so you guys, number one, you have to go and get this other book because it's one of my top books, like literally top three books in all of, all of historical book reading. I'm a huge reader. I have a huge, yes library (laughs) and it's definitely it's because it's so impactful you guys you will experience the impact right away but you're writing another book and that is also an experience in and of itself like you just said like that is a discipline sitting down to do work and whether you guys listening are an author whether you're an entrepreneur it's those mundane tasks that you have to just get your shit done what do you say (laughs) in those moments of like just show up even when you're not feeling like inspiration. Can you just like take us through some of those so everybody knows they're normal and it's uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. I mean, so I wake up very early. People are always like, oh, man, that's so inspiring. It's like, okay, well, the catch here is that I go to bed at 832. Uh, <laughs> I love it. But I get up, I make a cup of coffee, and it's like, I'm going to sit in that chair from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. Some days it's like, oh, man, I'm on a heater. I feel great. Other days, it is pulling teeth. It's Mm -hmm. reading studies I don't want to read. But like I found, especially with like, say I'm reading a piece of research. Mm -hmm. It's so dense and so like complicated. Mm -hmm. And frankly, it's like, why do scientists write this way? I was just reading some and I was like, this is so stupid. (laughs) So bad. Just tell me the point. (laughs) Exactly. But then you'll get to some like little point. Mm. And it connects with this other thought you had, which connects with this other thought, which brings this whole thing together. And it's just like, bam, and Mm -hmm. then it's moving. But if I wasn't willing to sort of sit in the chair, do the work, struggle through the, I suck at this. No one's going to read this. This is going to bomb. Have like, you know, panic attacks along the way of Mm -hmm. writing the book. It wouldn't be what it needs to be. You kind of need to go through all that discomfort to put something out that is meaningful and hopefully affects things. Mm-hmm. You know, my when I'm writing a book, my rules are 
would I myself read this? Because I'm, I'm the world's best. I finished the first quarter of the book person, you know, like I just have a terrible attention span. Mm. And, and do I think that this could actually help someone's life? Do I think that this could help most people most of the time? Is there something in this book that I think could help someone? And if I've done that, then I consider it a win. Now that sounds easy. It's, it's not though. You've got to put in, mm. they have to put in the work. It's, you know, to the whole point of this podcast, it's like earn your happy. And mm-hmm. I found that kind of going through that stuff, it's like once the pieces all connect, that is one of the things that I consider the most life-giving in my life. Mm-hmm. Like aha moments where it's like, oh my God, you just mm-hmm. the secret, everything connects, like the last mm-hmm. final piece that was missing, you know? Oh, so. the best moment. Who would you be right now if you weren't living this way? If you didn't take some extreme challenges into your life? And I do think it's like those extreme moments. Some people don't love that word, but I think it takes that to like break through and get to those edges and become someone new. Who would you be right now if you hadn't started doing that? Well, if I didn't get sober, I'd probably be dead. But then second of all, once I sort of got sober, that was such a good teacher for me that, you know, to improve, it's it's going to be terrible. And that sort of going through that hell of getting sober was like, it's never going to get that low again. So it kind of makes mm. all other things so much more manageable. And so I think continuing to try and sort of push that edge in an intelligent way, you know, a boxer doesn't improve by just sticking out their face and saying, hit me. Mm-hmm. But a boxer is going to get hit in the face a couple of times along the way to perfecting their craft is kind of how I think about it. And just continually trying to like, sharpen the edge, do things that I think are going to move the dial, even if they're going to be challenging and being will, being willing to go there. Because I do feel like too, it's never quite as bad in the moment as we think it's as hard as it, we think it's going to be, you know, we can kind of get worked up beforehand. So I don't know, that's kind of some psycho battle. I don't know if that gives any actual information, but that's just what I've experienced. I learned so much about that when I was just trying to compete in fitness because Mm -hmm. wow it was very challenging you had to be so consistent and it took a long time to see a result and I have that reference point now though with anything I do I'm like okay if I've learned anything it takes a lot longer to get the result that you want there's Mm -hmm. probably going to be a lot more pain and you have to add a lot more weight the more that you go and you want to like push push that goal forward if you want to get better you have to add even more weight or more time or more challenge what kind of fitness competition was it I did figure for a long time. I did bikini. Mm-hmm. I did fitness America. So where you do the yeah. routines as well. Yeah. So yeah, that was quite intense. I did that for four years, but I did end up winning. So that's really nice. good. <laughs> well, that's also, that is different than any other sport I would imagine. I would have done it because you have to control for every factor in your life. Yes. Like the food thing becomes so down to the minutia of it and the oh gym God. time and the sleep time and that takes, uh, I could see how you come out of that and you're like, yeah, I got this. So disciplined. But you also learn that as disciplined as you need to be, there's actually, you know, as you do it more, you learn that you didn't have to be as disciplined if you learned more specifically either the science or, you know, it, it's really interesting. I could go on and mm-hmm. on about it. But let's leave everyone with this. For whomever is listening right now, 
I really know that people who listen to this podcast, they want to get to the next level so bad. They want to do the thing. They have this dream on their heart or this big vision and there's something blocking them from like getting to the next level. What would you suggest for them? Go out and do, I mean, try them out. Go do something really hard out in nature that is you legitimately think you have a 50-50 shot at finishing and you will learn something about yourself out there. Now, this might seem not may not seem like a direct, you know, business to have direct business application, but it does because I'm this with businesses and people will go out and they'll do something. They will learn something about themselves and it will change their perspective in such a way that the business life becomes more manageable. They're more willing to do the thing that they didn't want to do. And they have a better assessment of risk and what risk actually is and is not. And mm-hmm. that is something you could do literally tomorrow. Just pick something and you'll learn from it. Mm. So good. You know, I was on the, the treadmill the other day and literally thought of you in the book because I was like, this is so hard. And it wasn't even, I was probably running at like 5.6 and I was only going to run for like 20 or 30 minutes. And I was like, why does this feel so hard? And I said, do you know how to make this easier? I need to make this harder right now. And I was like, I'm going to make this harder for three minutes. And then this 5.6 is going to feel like a field day (laughs) and I'm going to be so grateful for it. So I cranked it up to like seven, 7.5 and sure enough, went back down to 5.6 and said, I'm so grateful for 5.6. So (laughs) so to make your life easier, you're going to have to make it harder in the beginning. So I'm so grateful. And it's such a good reminder, Michael, this is like so exciting for me to be able to talk to you and also let you know how big of an impact the book made. And I hope that everybody listening goes and grabs it. Again, I'm just going to stress, I loved the audio because you're such a great storyteller. I was literally on that hunting trip with you. It was so awesome. So thank you so much. And again, when your next book comes out, this is an open door for you. I'm so excited for you. Awesome. Well, I will make sure you get a advanced copy and we can then come back and we can talk about it and yeah, talk more. I really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. And you guys, one of the biggest things that we can do for our guest, obviously go grab his book, but go follow him too. I love your social every day. You give great, like just quick reminders of this whole theory and concept. Go tag him and let him know what your biggest takeaway was from this podcast episode. It's always nice to know the impact and who was listening and he'll actually get to, you know, see your face on social. So until next time, everyone earn your happy. Bye-bye. Hey, do you know what the big secret is this year? And it shouldn't be a secret because this should be your biggest focus. It is building your community. I am always working on building and nurturing my community and everyone is talking about the power of community. Without an online community, you just cannot grow organically or create a real movement, which is what I know that we're all after. And you can build trust or monetize your audience. When you get community right, Not only does your audience grow faster, but so do your sales. But where's everybody gonna be managing their communities these days? And a lot of online entrepreneurs and thought leaders are turning to circle.so. 
Circle is an all-in-one community platform. It lets you host content and create discussions, live streams, group chats, and memberships all under your own brand. And what's so cool about Circle.so is that you don't even need a website or Facebook group. Instead, Circle lets you build your own community site where you can host content and manage your members. You can even create locked and unlocked content spaces, groups, and classes. How freaking cool is that? You can put your content behind a paywall too, and you can charge different amounts of money for different spaces on your community site. Circle.so is famously easy to use, and it has a free 14-day trial for you, so you can go check it out, see if you like it, see if you love all the options. Just go to circle.so. Go check it out right now, you guys. Imagine being able to manage your community, start group chats and live classes, and accept payments all in one place. Kind of mind-blowing since this is usually spread all over the place. You have to log into so many different things. If this is the year to capture, organize, and monetize your community, head over to circle.so. You can get a free trial and start building your online community right now. Just go to circle.so. You guys, you get the 14-day free trial. So just go and see if it's for you. It's going to streamline everything and make your life so much easier. It's so freaking cool. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. And I want to make sure that you have my phone number and I'm not kidding. Did you know that I have a community text number for real? My phone number is 310-496-8363. This goes directly to my phone. All you have to do is text the word daily to 310-496-8363. And I literally text you every single day, Monday through Friday, I actually just got done 30 seconds ago texting a bunch of people back and I talk to you all of the time. You guys, people always ask me how I got my community text number and how it works. Well, all you have to do is you can just go to community.com and get your own. Community makes it easy to get a phone number that you can use to build your audience using text. People just text you at your number and they're added to your group. Then you can text them out audios, video links, anything you want. You guys, I text out happy birthday videos. I love to send podcast links, thoughts about life, book recommendations, uh, different events that I'm doing in the local area. Texting gets me out of the noise of social media and directly into your hand. And now you can start texting your people too. Just go to community.com to get your phone number. They give you a 10 digit real phone number, not those weird short codes that look like spam, but it's more than a phone number. Your new number comes with an inbox for SMS and texting. This means you can actually manage your text list from your computer and an app on your phone. You can schedule texts to send at certain times and to certain groups. You can even set up auto replies or let your assistant or customer service team answer your text messages via community's awesome dashboard. Just go to community.com and ask for a free demo. They'll show you how it works and get you your number. It's time to start texting your audience versus just posting on social media. Everyone uses community for that. So go check them out at community.com. I can tell you it's not just great for communicating with my audience, but Chris and I use community and our texts to also sell out our launches. I'm telling you, you get such an incredible response because you really are creating a true deep sense of community and it's so intimate. It's freaking amazing. Go check it out at community.com.